Welcome to the Tanya Acker Show. What is crypto? How does it work? And why are people getting into so much trouble for dealing in it? All of this on this episode of the Tanya Acker Show, where I'm joined by Sylvan Lane, finance and economic policy reporter at The Hill. He's here to break it all down. Here I am with Sylvan Lane. Welcome to the podcast, Sylvan. Thank you for being here. My pleasure. So I want to go to crypto school. First things first, what is it and how does it work? Sure. So cryptocurrencies are, you know, basically digital tokens, kind of like credit card points or, you know, some other type of money that you have but can't physically hold. And it basically runs on something called the blockchain. It would take me hours to explain what that is, but just think of it as a fancy spreadsheet where you could track where this money is going, who has it, who had it before. And the overall, you know, the reason cryptocurrencies were existed was basically to figure out a way for people to send each other money without either having to use a government's currency like the U.S. dollar or having to use a bank, uh, PayPal, Western Union, anything like that. The most popular cryptocurrency is Bitcoin. A lot of people have probably heard of that. But, you know, there's so many different types of these digital currencies and digital tokens. Uh, You know, some of them are worth tens of thousands of dollars each. Some of them are worth less than a penny each. But that's just kind of the general idea of what cryptocurrencies are. So, Sylvan, for the token to mean anything, for it to have value, uh, a couple of things have to be the case, right? People have to trust it and that it has to, um, I, I mean, I'm not being really clear, a dollar, right, when we have a greenback, And we got to a point, we didn't always use greenbacks. I interviewed uh, HW Brands a little while ago about the history of money. But that dollar represents something. It's guaranteed by the government. When I present that dollar, then a vendor is required to take that dollar. And it got some objective value beyond what I or the person who I'm trying to give it to impart to it. What is the value, the objective value behind these tokens? Why do they mean anything to people? You know, that's kind of one of the most important questions about cryptocurrencies. Those who really believe that they could be transformative think that the value of cryptocurrencies is just based on the fact that the more people use them, the more people accept them, the more people believe that they're worth something, then, you know, the value of it will go up. Uh, You know, the dollar used to be exchangeable for gold. That's not the case anymore. But, you know, now with the dollar, you have, you know, the promise that the U.S. government is going to be able to make good on that. You know, for as long as the U.S. government is around, that dollar is worth something. But with cryptocurrencies, there's not, you know, anything inherent about them. Uh, You know, having that in a digital wallet does not necessarily, you know, entitle you to any specific value in in dollars or, or anything else, really, that isn't driven entirely by what people think it's worth. So you have some of these cryptocurrencies that, you know, they're supposed to be like money. You're supposed, you know, a dollar is supposed to be worth roughly a dollar tomorrow and the next month. With cryptocurrencies, they tend to behave a lot more like stocks where the values could swing a lot higher and a lot lower. People are buying and selling them with the idea of making money off of them. Whereas, you know, the two of us, we're not looking to get money for anything other than to have money to spend on stuff. The point of having money is to be able to buy things with it either now or in the future. But there's because cryptocurrencies don't really have a fixed value 
attached to anything other than, you know, what people think they're worth, there's a lot of confusion among some people as to why even bother with them. Isn't that inherently scary, right? I mean, if the value of this currency is only what people believe it is, and there's no um, kind of objective hammer behind it saying it means this today, it's worth this much today, you have to take it. I mean, if it's just all, you know, what people trust, then do you think that it has legs? Are we in 50 years going to be trading or relying on cryptocurrencies the way we now rely on greenbacks, which was a fight. It was a fight to get people to trust the greenback. Um, are we one day going to be able to trust crypto? It's hard right now to see cryptocurrencies replacing the dollar in any meaningful way or, you know, any world currency, just because they've only been around for, you know, really only about 10, maybe 15 years, depending on how you count it. And we're still so early in the process of people understanding and learning about them that even the most optimistic crypto supporters don't think we're going to get to anything close like that within the next 10, 20, 30 years. Now, there could be ways that cryptocurrencies and just the idea of, you know, blockchains in general can become used to be part of, you know, sending money in between people. A lot of companies are looking at, you know, their own digital currencies as a way of sending money between people or being able to use it specifically at a store. But as of right now, it's hard to see us waking up one day and realizing, oh, wow, we really should have got in on Bitcoin or another <laughs> cryptocurrency because now we can't go get groceries. <laughs> I mean, you know, hindsight's always twenty twenty. I knew people who were making some money. I don't invest in things that I don't understand fluently. Um, and this was one of them. So there was a point when I was kind of like, huh, I'm seeing this crypto ship take off and I'm not on it. And then uh, <laughs> let's talk about where the ship is now. Investors have lost trillions, Sylvan, trillions. Yeah. Uh, what the heck happened? So a few things happened. So cryptocurrencies, you know how before I was talking about how a lot of them behave kind of like stocks? Well, when interest rates are really low and people have a lot of extra money, the stock market does really well. We know that from 2020, right after it crashed during the pandemic, it rallied like crazy. 2021, the stock market rallied like crazy again. That happened with cryptocurrencies too. The price of a Bitcoin reached, you know, it peaked at $70,000 for one Bitcoin shortly before uh, the beginning of the year. So what happened? Inflation continued to get high, which means people had a lot less money to spend on things other than essentials. And all of a sudden, if you're looking at $4 gas, you may not want to spend that much more money on cryptocurrency, or you might have to sell it to pay for that. Another thing that happened was the Federal Reserve has been raising interest rates really, really rapidly. Now, when the Fed raises interest rates, that makes it more expensive for people to get money and hard for them to hold on to it. When that happens, you don't really, a lot of people don't really want to put it into things like Bitcoin and Ethereum and cryptocurrencies. They want to hold on to that to pay for their bills or to pay for their groceries. So the combination of inflation getting higher and the interest rates getting higher took a lot of steam out of it. Now, when those crypto values started to fall, a lot of the companies that became so rich and powerful as crypto prices were rising also started to falter. And we're seeing the fallout of that happen, too. Wasn't, uh, and correct me if I'm wrong, um, you're the finance expert, but wasn't 
the crypto bubble, you know, didn't the bubble get so big because people thought that uh, crypto would be a hedge against inflation, that it might help protect them against uh, inflation? Uh, and how has that turned out? <laughs> That's exactly right. You know, one of the main pitches to people before we got into this inflationary spiral was that, oh, you, you know, you're going to want uh, you're going to want crypto in case of inflation the same way that people treated gold and silver during previous uh you know, bouts of high inflation. But that really, you, you know, it hasn't been a good hedge against inflation. As inflation has gotten higher and as the Federal Reserve has fought against inflation harder, the value of cryptocurrencies have been going down. And that's, you know, that's in a stark contrast to the value of the dollar. Because even with inflation getting higher, the value of the dollar has gotten a lot higher compared to other currencies. Now, the value of Bitcoin has gone down in comparison to everything. It's just, and other cryptocurrency, they've just plunged really rapidly because people aren't really treating them like money. They're treating them like investment vehicles. Outside of a, you know, a core group of people who really believe this is the future, a lot of the recent interest in cryptocurrency has just been driven by people who think they can make money off of it, not because they think it's you know, the wave of the future. Talk to us, Sylvan, about uh, why Sam Bankman-Fried, former CEO and founder of FTX, is uh, in so much trouble. FTX, of course, uh, has imploded. A lot of folks are comparing it to Enron. I think you wrote in one of your columns, uh, or I read this somewhere, that some folks say that that comparison is not really apt because the Enron uh, corruption was very complicated and what was going on at FTX was in plain sight for anybody to see who cared to watch, uh, who cared to take a look. Tell us a little bit about that, if you would. The FDX situation is really remarkable because it's, you know, I can't say this definitively, but I can't imagine that there's ever been a bigger, more valuable company with less oversight and less controls. Just, just to get a sense of it, this is a company that was controlling billions of dollars of people's money and had no formal way of keeping track of it. They used Slack, an online messaging system that, you know, me and my colleagues used to figure out what stories we're going to write. FTX was using that to figure out invoices. Uh, they were using QuickBooks to run their finances, which works fine if you're running a small business, a, a storefront or two. But when you're managing billions of people's dollars and assets that, you know, go up and down in value a lot, it's really impossible to use that and get, you know, a sufficient sense of where you're at. So what happened with FTX is simply they lost track of the money that they had. They lost track of the money that they owed people. And that became a huge problem because a lot of the money that they had was actually customer money that was supposed to be kept safe, but was used for various investments, uh, both for the company and both and the people who found it, uh, allegedly used to buy houses and apartments. A lot of it, we don't really know where the money went. So Unlike Enron and other, uh, you know, frauds where there was a very complicated network of transactions and all of these, you know, really complicated things to hide this money, they were just keeping it all together and taking it from people. It, it's really remarkable. That's what that's at least what's alleged, you know. Only what's alleged. He's not uh, been tried. I'm a lawyer, everybody. I know we are innocent. Folks are innocent until proven guilty. But I'm the point here is to to explain 
these allegations. And so Sylvan, just to highlight some of that, I mean, we're talking about a business that was collecting billions of dollars from folks, from investors. And whereas other businesses, you know, other investment vehicles are regulated, you know, for instance, if you put all your money in the bank, that bank has to have an audit officer, that bank has to do audits. I mean, there are all sorts of ways that uh, consumers are protected by a bunch of regulations. Some people say the regulations go too far. Maybe sometimes they do. But what we're talking about here uh, is an industry where there's no regulation at all. And is that why it was so easy for them to just use QuickBooks instead of um, a more, for instance, more sophisticated accounting systems that larger businesses would often use? Certainly. So there's a lot of questions here about how this could have been prevented and what could have gone differently. One of the big issues here was the fact that FTX was set up in the Bahamas, uh, partially because they wanted to try to get around, uh, you know, some of the issues that happen when you run a company like this in the United States and register there. So there was limited oversight because of that reason. But the bigger picture issue is that cryptocurrencies themselves fall into this weird kind of middle ground in between the two main federal agencies that are responsible for overseeing financial markets. There's the Securities and Exchange Commission, the SEC. They're in charge of the stock market and what public companies are doing who are listed on the stock market, along with bonds and you know a lot of other things that may be in people's 401ks. Then there's the Commodities Futures Trading Commission, the CFTC, and they handle things like, you know, you could buy and trade, uh, you know, gold and bushels of soybeans and contracts and futures and all these complicated things tied to that. Cryptocurrencies don't really fit exactly into the SEC's domain and not really into the CFTC's domain. So neither of these agencies have been able to look at these companies from the top down and supervise them in the same way that a national bank would be supervised by the FDIC or the Federal Reserve. These customer funds were not insured in the same way that if you have an account with a big bank or you know any federally regulated bank, if that bank goes under for no fault of your own, you're going to get that money back. But there isn't a regulatory framework that can really get ahead of these situations before they happen, only when things blow up like what happened with FDX. Is that going to change? Because as you pointed out at the outset, a big incentive for the cryptocurrency markets and for people to get involved is that they wanted to avoid government regulation. They wanted to avoid government tracking. Uh, we're seeing what the consequence can be of no government tracking. Uh, do you think that there will be, there's a move toward more oversight of this industry? And if so, what does that look like? Yeah, no, I mean, there's, you know, pretty broad agreement among lawmakers, you know, between the most anti-crypto and the most pro-crypto ones, that there needs to be some better rules and regulations for the crypto space. Uh, the critics of the space of, of crypto think, you know, this is a hotbed of fraud, uh, a garden of snakes, as uh, Congressman Brad Sherman of California put it in a recent hearing. And they think that the federal government should be in there cleaning it up as much as possible. Even people who support cryptocurrencies think that the companies that want to get involved in it, the people who want to get involved in it, need clear rules about what is and isn't okay. So those companies who want to do right, who want to be part of the future in a responsible way, can build around that. 
The big problem is nobody can agree on which company should or which uh, regulator should be in charge of that, how strict those rules should be, uh, the different ways that these different cryptocurrencies and these different products should be overseen. And they've been stuck at this impasse for almost five, six years now, really as long as lawmakers have been paying attention to this. So the urgency is definitely higher, but it's not clear to me that they found any sort of middle ground here that can really establish something quickly. I saw in uh, one of your tweets, I think it was a quote from someone in the industry who said that uh, people are going to have to be convinced that this behavior by FTX and the conduct that gave rise to its implosion, people are going to have to be convinced that that's not the norm in the industry. Do you think that's true? Yeah, I mean, that's um, probably the most important thing for anybody who supports crypto right now is to show people that this isn't everybody, that this isn't a crypto thing, that this is one bad company who just so happened to be in the crypto space that did some really, really awful things. And, you know, there's a point to that. None of the things that FTX and Sam Bankman-Fried are accused of doing have anything that have to happen with cryptocurrencies. You know, all of the money that they took, allegedly took from customers and spent on their own, that could have been cash, that could have been anything else. Uh, It, you know, it appears to just be plain old fashioned fraud. So it wasn't anything about the technology itself. That said, until these regulations come in, a lot of people are probably not going to trust it, even if they, you know, even if the do reg- regulations do come in, they may not trust it. Yeah, I mean, because really, Sylvan, while it's true that the conduct that gave rise to all of this drama uh, isn't endemic to crypto, it's the same conduct that you see in any unregulated financial market. I mean, before we started regulating the stock market, people played around it with it and traded, you know, did insider deals to the detriment of consumers. Uh, there were corners on the gold market. There were, uh, you know, the eerie, uh, the eerie wars of the 19th century. I mean, any time you give people a free hand with other people's money, it's kind of safe to assume that there will be some bad apples. I mean, it's not crypto. It's not just crypto. This is just a continuation of a type of conduct that we've seen for decades when uh, there's no regulation, right? Certainly. And, you know, the federal government and regulators are always, you know, the last to catch up to something going on, largely because it takes a lot of time for regulators and lawmakers to understand it, especially when you're talking about something like cryptocurrencies that, you know, the longer I cover it, the less I understand about it. So I under, I, I get what the trouble is there, but you know, th- you're right that this is a very similar pattern to what has happened before in other aspects of the financial market. There was a lot of unregulated and poorly supervised activity in the mortgage market leading up to the great financial crisis. And we saw how that went. There was a lot of unsafe practices happening with savings and loan companies in the 80s, and that caused a financial market meltdown. And after all of these instances, there has been federal regulation to come in and really bolster it. After the mortgage bubble crashed, the government created two new agencies in parts to police the mortgage sector, along with a whole bunch of new rules. So, you know, that that seems to be the direction that we're going to have to go here with cryptocurrencies to prevent people from thinking that this is just you know, some sort of scam or trap. 
Sylvan, tell me a little bit about why you went into the line of journalism that you do. You're a finance and economic policy reporter at The Hill. I've read some of your pieces. Very clear. You're really good at breaking down complicated concepts for folks. Why were you drawn to this? Honestly, a lot of it has to do with growing up during the Great Recession, you know, wondering, you know, whether I'd be able to afford to go to college, how I was going to pay off my student loans, uh, you know, whether my dad would be able to find a new job after he lost his when everything, you know, kind of went down. And it was a scary time. And a lot of this stuff goes over people's heads. They get scared and they can't really engage with it. So for me, the the whole purpose of what I do is to make this stuff more approachable for everybody. I can't necessarily tell you what it, not to be scared about things, but my hope is that folks get a better understanding of what they're up against how they can navigate it, how they could advocate for themselves, the programs that are out there are available to them. So when things get dicey, they at least have the confidence of knowing what they could do about it. How did your folks turn out after the Great Recession? Things work out okay for them? There were some tough decisions that had to be made, but I'm really happy to say that everybody's doing great now. They were able to get ahead of their situation. My little brother and I are you know, off in the workforce financially independent, doing our thing. So, you know, I know it's, it's not the case for a lot of people. A lot of people had to, you know, deal with a lot of hardships. So the fact, it's, it's both of those things. The fact that we made it all right and a lot of people didn't, that duality and that split is always in the back of my mind whenever we're approaching these things. And, you know, not only me, everybody at the Hill, all of our policy reporters, all of our reporters, we focus this on the questions that people are asking themselves on a day-to-day basis. It's not about, you know, what's important among DC insiders. It's about what's important to families who are figuring out how they're going to pay for gas, uh, whether, you know, what they could get from the grocery store. Those are the questions that we're most concerned about here. And given my experience, everyone else's experience, that's kind of the ballgame for us. Your folks must be very proud of the education and insight and clarity that you are providing to folks. Uh, I certainly appreciate it. Great work, Sylvan. Thank you. Thank you. That means a lot. Slightly different but related subject. You cover finance and economic policy. Are we headed toward a recession? If so, how bad is the recession going to be? Uh, long, short, what's your prediction? I, I wish I could, you know, give you a hard and fast prediction, but we're I at a really- I you were a fortune teller. That's what they I told know, me. I know. I'm sorry. Trust me. If, if I could predict whether or not a recession would be coming, I would be in a much different line of work. But um, <laughs> yeah, it, it's, it's tough though, because- There's so many aspects of our economy that are still quite strong right now. We're still adding 200 jobs a month on average. Uh, People are still making, you know, getting pretty hefty wage increases. But we're also seeing some signs that all of these fears and all these concerns are actually starting to catch up. Retail sales in November fell a lot, a lot more than people expected. Uh, Industrial output, you know, what factories are making a lot less stuff. And yesterday, the Federal Reserve came out with new projections that see the unemployment rate rising a lot next year and economic growth slowing pretty considerably. Now, we've been surprised by a lot of aspects of you know, this recovery. No one expected the, the economy to recover this quickly or, or jobs to come back this quick. And few people expected inflation to get as high as it did. But it really does seem like we're heading for a much slower economy next year. Whether it's a recession or just a painful slowdown, it's Honestly, I think too early to tell. And any sign, uh, Sylvan, that crypto will make a comeback in the near term? 
I, I don't want to, you know, rule it out. I think that if we get to a situation where we get a better sense of where the economy is going, the federal government comes in with some new regulations, people are feeling a little bit more confident about the outlook for the economy and finances in general. I think we'll start to see crypto come back a little bit, maybe, you know, crypto 2 or 3.0. But this era of all of these, you know, crazy individual coins and Dogecoin and people pouring money into any random thing they see on Twitter, that may be behind us just given what's happened so far and the financial troubles that a lot of Americans are going through right now. So what you're telling me, Sylvan, is that after this, you and I are not going to get together and come up with our own tokens and then make a billion dollars? Like, I'm, are you I'm saying not that that's that not out. happening? We're I'm not, not doing no, that? No, I'm not going to rule that out. I'm not going to rule that out. <laughs> if, you know, next year, you know, if there's a market for our, for our, our, our coin, then I think we've got to mint that. But it's going to be a little that, bit early to tell. We will have proper auditors and we will not use QuickBooks, people. We're going to do it grown up. We're going to do it the grown up way. Exactly. Uh, Sylvan Lane, finance and economic policy reporter from The Hill. Uh, so much fun having you here. I hope you'll come back. Anytime. Thanks so much for having me. Thanks for being here. 